Malcolm here with another bonus podcast on the Sermon on the Mount series. As you may know, we just can't fit all the material into the classes on the Fridays and the Sundays. So I'm doing a few extra bonus podcasts to fill in the gaps. And this next gap is Matthew 6 verses 16 to 24. And this comes between the sermon that was taught last Sunday, the 9th of February on the uh, Lord's Prayer. And then this coming Friday's class, which is on verses 25 to the end of the chapter, I believe. So today we're filling in the gap between the two and it's verses 16 to 24. Let's read it. Then I'll offer a few comments and then let me know what you think about it. Jesus said this, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will, you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, this connects very much with uh, the earlier part of the chapter in chapter 6, where Jesus talked about giving to the needy in the same kind of spirit of doing it um, with a, a sincerity of heart and a humility that is not doing it not to be seen. And so Jesus returns to this theme after talking about prayer and the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, uh, when he talks about fasting. And then he goes on to talk about how we deal with our material wealth and our attitude towards it. So we'll talk about these things here. When you fast, he says in verse 16, fasting was very common in those days, perhaps not so much in my life, perhaps in yours, I don't know. I'd like to know what you think about fasting. It was very much connected in the days of Jesus with the high feast days. Um, sometimes extra fasts were called in situations of emergency, and they were also encouraged for developing discipline and uh, repentance. Strict Pharisees fasted at least twice a week, Luke 18 verse 12, although it wasn't required. And they disfigured themselves, he says here. Literally, that word means to make invisible, which is rather interesting. In other words, you... <laughs> You do things to yourself that mean that someone who met you would not know it was you. I mean, it's that extreme. It's not just that you didn't put a little bit of oil on your head or you had a little bit less or no oil or you, but it was smearing, smearing ash and dirt on your face to the point where someone wouldn't know that it was you. Someone who knew you wouldn't know it was you. And that's kind of strange and weird, but that's what some people were doing. What began, as Carson says, what began as spiritual self-discipline was prostituted into an occasion for pompous self-righteousness. 
and, and before we get too down on the Pharisees here, let's bear in mind that Jesus was talking to his disciples saying, you must watch out for this because he knew there was going to be temptations for his disciples to, to be this way and dare say they must have been at times. And you and I now and again are not immune from being pompously self-righteous. We'll have to think about the application of that. Jewish fasting required abstinence not only from food, but also other pleasures like anointing one's head with oil to prevent dry skin. It wasn't just a cosmetic thing. It was a, uh, you know, in that kind of climate, it would have been uh, very helpful. And what else can we say about this? Let's move on. Verse 18, not to be obvious. Don't do it to be obvious to others that you're fasting. It's not so much, as we talked about in the earlier passage in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, that it's not so much that no one will notice, but that you're not drawing attention to it. Most people should never know that you're fasting when you're fasting. So a summary of, um, of the first 18 verses of this chapter overall, I would say, is that uh, we are meant to be living in such a way as to please God. That's how we're meant to be living, not to please ourselves, not to please other people, not in the way that we live our life for God, avoiding hypocrisy, uh, noting all of these do nots, quite a lot of do nots here, but um, the reason that Jesus puts in the do nots is for a positive purpose, that then we can live a life of true spiritual freedom, pleasing our God, our Father, which will, which will help us and our relationship of righteousness, doing right by God. Now the next section from verse 19, the next section is about ambitions. If the previous section was about humbling and sincerity, then this is about ambition. All of this section funnels down to the end of the chapter where Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's all funneling down from here to that point. And we'll cover some of that this coming Friday, but there's a little bit here we'll talk about today. The emphasis is on the kingdom. That's where we end up at the end of chapter 34, talking about the kingdom. The, and so we've got some metaphors here about, as Carson puts it, unswerving loyalty to kingdom values right so first of all treasure verse 19 don't store up treasure on earth jesus isn't condemning money or possessions or even wealth for that matter he's not condemning that of course first timothy 6 10 says that there's great danger in the love of money and you don't have to be wealthy to love money but i think what he's saying here is things cannot be our treasure don't store up treasure on earth. Treasure in the first century especially was not stored in a bank. There were no such things really in those days. Treasure was stored in places where deterioration was a real problem. Things could rust. Things could molder away. Often treasure was hidden away in another room in the house or perhaps even buried underground. Um, that created great problems for this whatever treasure you had. The vermin can get in. Uh, that word vermin can also mean decay or destruction. And thieves can break in. They would break in by digging through the wall of your house. I don't know what your house looks like. You can see, if you're watching the video of mine behind me, that's a, a brick wall. Uh, it'd be hard to do that. But in the first century, of course, digging through a wattle and daub style uh, wall would have been a lot easier. And so people could break in, steal your stuff and run away again pretty quickly without you even noticing. So that's what he's warning them about is that life is so uncertain. And even those of us who think life is very certain just need to remember back a few years to stock market crashes and uh, i remember my my i'm sadly my mother-in-law lost a lot of her pension when the company went kind of bust that she was investing in these things happen 
and we need to remember that these that life even in all the things we try to create security these things are not as secure as we might like to think they are so what's the point here the point is less about the mode of destruction or the theft it's more about the fact that material possessions are vulnerable and therefore we must not put our security and strength in them he says instead in verse 20 store up for yourselves treasures in heaven Moth and vermin do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A couple of points in this. In heaven, spiritual tre treasure is worth far more than earthly treasure. If so, then it's worth having great ambition for the kingdom. No problem with having ambition at work in certain areas of life, but even greater should be our ambition for the kingdom of heaven. The difference between the treasures on earth and in heaven is the length of their existence. As Carlson says, at other times, Scripture extrapolates the advanced tastes we enjoy here and pictures a, a, a pictures love undiluted, a way of life utterly sinless, integrity untarnished, work and responsibility without fatigue, deep emotions without tears, worship without restraint or disharmony or sham, and best of all, the presence of God in an unqualified and unrestricted and personal way. What a marvellous paragraph. I'm going to put all of these in the show notes so you can reflect back on it if you like. So, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to live, we need faith to live for the right kind of treasure. If I am genuinely committed to the kingdom of God, my most cherished values will be established by God, says Carson. And again, we think about our treasures, we're drawn towards our treasures, we fret about our treasures, we measure other things and other people by our treasures. This is so painfully true that a person who honestly examines himself can pretty well discover what his real treasures are simply by studying his or her deepest desires. The heart. It's not so much the, the disciples' wealth that Jesus is concerned with as his loyalty. As verse 24 will make explicit, materialism is in direct conflict with loyalty towards God. And the danger of amassing possessions is that the treasure will command the disciples' loyalty that material affluence will breed materialism. You might want to have a Bible study on Achan, Solomon, the rich young ruler, Demas. Have a look at those and see what materialism will do for people. We can't kid ourselves here. What we treasure governs our lives. We need to answer the question, what do you want to rule your life? Things or your Heavenly Father? The desire of our heart draw us in that direction, whether we like it or not. We need to pay attention to the focus of our hearts. Colossians chapter 3 would be a good Bible study for that. We can train ourselves to think right. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19 talks about that. Now he then goes on to change the metaphor to the one of the eye. The eye is the lamp of of the body he says interesting what does the, the eye do the eye helps the body to find its way so therefore we should be asking ourselves what are we noticing are we observant about what's going on around us uh, the lamp he talks about the lamp the the lamp of the body the lamp of course in those days would have been an oil fired lamp and that lamp needs to uh, the glass in it needs to not get smoky i have a wood burning uh, fire in my um in my house and it's a it's a enclosed uh, furnace 
it has a glass panel at the front and sometimes you know it, over time it gets um, obscured by by deposits on it and then it's not as bright the other day i cleaned it i cleaned it all off and i lit the fire and the red and yellow flames were beautiful it's lovely to see that i couldn't see it before that because of the soot that had accumulated and we need to be the kind of people who are aware of the sootiness that's coming into our lives of the way that perhaps materialism is taking our hearts away from the values of the kingdom i think that's what he's talking about here keeping the wick trimmed making sure the fuel isn't too low and, and adulterated but being healthy and the word healthy here means literally single it can mean also generous the bad eye is a metaphor for stinginess and jealousy in other contexts the word single can also mean complete or even perfect and of course what we're talking about here really is undivided loyalty so the single eye he says here that we should have a single eye it's primarily a metaphor for a life totally devoted to the service of god we are pure-hearted i think he's talking here somewhat about having a pure heart and back in the beatitudes the pure will see god so we will see god with a pure heart a pure heart is not one that has no sin in it actually a pure heart is one that is undivided in its loyalty because that's the point of purity it's a purity of loyalty it's i have only one king one master and that's the point he's getting at here so i think this is the application in many ways or a reminder of the the uh, the beatitude there that we will see god if we have a pure heart a single-minded single focused heart and mind um, your whole body will be full of darkness or full of light so it's everything or nothing is i think what he's talking about basically here full of light carson says if light is taken in his usual connotations of revelation and purity then the individual with a single eye toward the kingdom values is the person characterized by maximum understanding of divinely revealed truth and by unabashedly pure behavior if we're full of light then we'll be spilling over to illuminate others matthew 5 verse 14 and the key verse at the end here verse 24 can't serve two masters serving in other words literally actually being the slave of the key is i think key thought here i think is that a person can have a person can have satisfactorily two employers but you can't have two masters you can't be a slave to two masters you could have two jobs actually i have two jobs watford church in thames valley it's okay to have two jobs but not two masters and that's what he's talking about here we cannot be not let the world and materialism be our master and expect that god or jesus can be our master it has to be only our lord well that's probably it Sometimes we're in a crisis and the two masters are in conflict of our lives. Well, we've got to choose the right one, I think is what he's encouraging us to do. The very next word in verse 25 is therefore. And so we are going to go on and talk about the therefore this coming Friday, the 14th of February. Uh, so that's what we'll be looking at on Friday. And if you've got thoughts about this, I'd really love to know. So do leave a comment anywhere you hear or see this recording. All the other materials should be up online. The individual lessons are going up in the Thames Valley website. The ones I'm teaching and all the PDFs are going up on my website. So you can have a look there if you've, if you've missed anything. If you've got any questions, let me know. And I hope you can be there Friday where we'll be looking at the therefore. Don't worry about your life and about the, the, the birds and the grass of the field. And how we can deal with worry. That's our focus. How do we deal with worry and anxiety in a godly way? So I hope you'll find that useful. 
Thanks very much. I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.